Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Today's guest is Tanya Dalton. Tanya is a nationally recognized productivity expert, transformational speaker, and best-selling author. Today, we're diving into her recently launched second book called On Purpose, The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success. Tanya's first book called The Joy of Missing Out was named one of the top 10 business books of the year by Fortune Magazine at the time. And Tanya's podcast, The Intentional Advantage, has received millions of downloads from listeners around the world. She's also a featured expert on several networks, including NBC and Fox, and she's a contributor for entrepreneur.com. Her work has also been featured in tons of distinguished publications, including Forbes, Fast Company, and Real Simple. She's been awarded the Elite Enterprising Woman Award and has been named the Female Entrepreneur to Watch for the state of North Carolina. Finally, Tanya is also founder of Inkwell Press Productivity Company. It's a multi-million dollar company she started that's all about providing tools to help women do less while still achieving maximum success. If you've been a part of this podcast for any amount of time, you know that one of my missions is to help shift women from busy for the sake of being busy and just filling our lives in a reactive way to being meaningfully productive. And that's a lot of what we're going to cover in this episode. I had so much fun reading the book and extrapolating what I thought were interesting insights and tools and things to try that I am so excited to share with you. So let's get into it. All right, Tanya, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about your book because I opened it up and it was like, boom, your words, like the preface hit me already. And here's what it said. It said, living on purpose isn't about changing who you are. It's about rising up and becoming the best version of you. So let's start right there. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I think so often people feel like purpose is somewhere else. It's in some other place. It's like, oh, if I do X, Y, and Z, then then I'll feel more aligned. Or, you know, I can't figure out what my purpose is. I think purpose is there for all of us. So it's not about changing who you are. It's not about shifting and twisting and turning and playing by the rules everybody else is playing by. It's stepping up and becoming the best version of you, of authentically aligning with what you desire, what you want, and making that incredible impact in the world. So you don't have to, you know, check a rule book of how do I need to behave or what am I supposed to be doing or what should I be doing? What is it you want to do? And that's what we do in the book. We dive into what is your purpose? Because a lot of people, they don't know what their purpose is or they feel confused, right? Or if I feel like I know what my purpose is, how do I live with intention each and every day? Because really what I want, I want women to go to bed at night and I want them to feel really good. I think so often we run around busy. We check a thousand things off our to-do list. We fall into bed at night exhausted. And we think to ourselves, oh, why didn't I get more done? Right? I want you to go to bed and go, ah, today felt amazing. I'm amazing. 
So that's really everything that I create, everything that I write or podcast about is about helping women feel successful at the end of the day. And that happens when you live a life that's intentional, that's aligned truly with what you want to do in your purpose. That's a beautiful opening. And I think it actually bleeds perfectly into my next thought because you read, and I love that you were honest about this because you have so much experience with goal setting and productivity. And I think sometimes that can be, those words alone can make people's systems contract a little bit, right? <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> and you were honest. You, you said in the book that you originally you sat down to write a goal setting book, but mm-hmm. it evolved. Tell yeah. us what, what happened. It totally changed. You know, here's the thing. I wrote my first book, The Joy of Missing Out. And HarperCollins was like, oh, we want to do another book. You know, what would you like to write a book on? How about goal setting? I was like, oh, I can talk about goal setting all day, right? I've taught thousands of women how to set and achieve their goals. No problem. I could easily write 200 some odd pages on goal setting. So I sat down January of 2020 mapped out this whole beautiful outline of what the book was going to be about. I made a writing plan for myself. I mapped the whole thing out. So I'd hit my deadlines. And then March of 2020 happened, which is when the whole world shut down. And suddenly I'm homeschooling two kids. I'm running my business out of my house. I'm trying to navigate team members and everything else. And the whole world was upside down. Everyone's world was upside down, including mine. And I honestly could not write. There was no way I could write a book at that point. And so it kind of got pushed to the side and pushed to the side and pushed to the side some more. And what was amazing and beautiful is that during that pregnant pause that we all had, I was paying attention to what everyone else was saying and what I was saying, which is, is this all there is out there? Like, why am I doing the things I'm doing? What is it I'm really here to do? I feel like that right there is the biggest benefit. That's the silver lining in the pandemic is it got us to stop and ask the questions. Why am I doing these things? Do I like what I'm doing? And I realized goals are not the goal. Goal setting, that's just really the vehicle to get you to the life you want. But I think so often we treat goals as the end-all be-all, that they're this amazing finish line that once we cross it, it's going to be amazing and life is going to be incredible, right? And then we get there and we're like, oh, looks the same or now what, right? So I wanted to write something that was so much bigger than that. And goal setting is a part of living on purpose because it really is setting these little milestones to get to on that bigger purpose that we have, what I like to call your cathedral. So it really is about looking out past today, looking into a bright, beautiful future that you dream about, something that you want to have happen, and then working backwards to align your goals so they work for you. I think so often we set goals based off what everybody else is doing. We look around and we're like, oh, that lady over there, she's doing amazing things. Or look at that woman. She's doing incredible stuff. I need to do those things. And the reason why they're doing amazing things is because they're doing things that align with them, their strengths, their weaknesses, their purpose, right? And we get lost in who we are. So I wanted to write a book to help people understand what is your purpose and then how do we live aligned to it? So it became this very different book than I ever expected And it's so much better because of it. I think that's the perfect example of the perfect plan doesn't exist. And in fact, we don't want it to. Life is often the best thing that can happen to us because life is messy and it takes us off track. And sometimes it takes us to places we didn't even know we were going to go. Well, I'm glad that the beautiful magic of On Purpose was birthed out of that pregnant pause because we (laughs) all are benefiting from it. I 
I couldn't agree more. I felt like during the pandemic when everything froze and then so many things shut down, it was really a time of reflection to decide, does this serve me anymore? You know, do I Mm -hmm. want to, I think for a lot of people, they realized there were things they were doing on autopilot that didn't serve them anymore. And they didn't realize Mm -hmm. until that they weren't doing them that they didn't want to be doing them anymore. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's like this great awakening that we got to experience that Life is not about have to, it's want to. Like, what do I want to do? I don't have to do things the way that I've always done it. In fact, it gave us this great excuse to be beautifully imperfect, right? Suddenly we could be on Zoom calls with kids playing in the background. Like we had to hide and shutter our kids in the closet. Like I'm on a phone call, no noises, right? And then during the (laughs) pandemic, it was like, hey, it's okay to be human. It's okay to have a messy background. It's okay for all these things. So it was such a great opportunity to explore. And I think that's continued. I think that's really amazing is that spirit has continued that it's okay to be perfectly imperfect, to embrace that because that's part of your superpowers. That's what makes you unique. I couldn't agree more. And I, okay, let's go back because you said, so we're kind of looking at this bright, beautiful future. And I I feel like people sometimes can picture this, but sometimes they just don't even know what they want. They know that they want Mm -hmm. something bigger than right now. So what do you tell clients that say, Hey, I, I know I want more, but somehow I've lost touch. I don't even know what my big dreams are. Where do they start? I would say you're with the majority of people. So first of all, feel good about that. Okay. (laughs) But the truth is your purpose is hidden inside of you, right in plain sight. We have to look backwards in order to move forward. So often I tell people to start with your past, dive into your past of who you were before you started adulting, right? We become adults or pseudo adults about the age of like, well, we we think we're adults when we're 13, but really we're a little bit older, right? And all of a sudden we're worried about paying the bills and the mortgage and, you know, doing the things we're supposed to be doing. When we were younger, everything was possible, right? Everything was available to you. So dive back into who you were when you were younger and ask yourself questions like, what did I want to be when I grew up? What is it you wanted to be? Maybe it was, you know, like an astronaut or the president or Wonder Woman. What was it that you wanted to be? Now, you might think that's silly because you think, well, of course, I'm not going to be Wonder Woman. That's not going to work out. I don't even look good in a leotard. So (laughs) but the question is, why did you want to be Wonder Woman? Why did you want to be president? Why did you want to be these things? So with Wonder Woman. Was it because she stood for truth and justice? Was it because she was able to uncover the truth? Was it because she stood for a strong woman for a generation of young girls? What was it that really appealed to you? Same thing with what did you enjoy as a kid? What were the things that you really got excited about? You know, not the things that your mom dragged you to, right? But the things that you were like, oh my gosh, I get to go and play softball today. Okay, Maybe you're not going to be a professional softball player, but why did you want that? Why did you like playing softball? Was it the exercise? Was it being outdoors? Was it the team aspect of it? What was it that you really loved? And you start to gather together these little pieces of who you were before you were an adult and you lay them out before you and you start taking a look and you're like, oh, there it is. You start to see these patterns emerging of I see these things over and over again in my life that I have loved being on teams or I have loved, you know, doing these certain things. And you can start to gather together the pieces of your purpose. And that's the best place to start because we all have a past. 
we sometimes like to pretend like we don't <laughs> because the past can be painful. The past can be full and littered, just full of failure and trauma and things that we don't want to think about, things we want to shove under the bed. But the truth is, often your purpose is hidden most obviously in those things. And let me tell you what I mean. When we know what we don't want, it's easier to uncover what we do. So if I were to say to your listeners today, all right, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down 20 things that you want, 20 things that you think are your purpose. You'd be like, oh gosh, 20, really? But if I said instead, I want you to write down 20 things you don't want, 20 things you don't want to repeat, 20 things you'd never want to do again, you would say only 20 because I can give you 100, right? If we push against regret, that's where we get to resilience, right? We push against what we don't want. That tells us what we do. So often our purpose is hidden in that pain of our past, but we don't like to pull open the bandages and take a look because it's not pretty and it can be embarrassing or shameful or we feel a lot of guilt. I would say we got to let go of that. We all have a past. We all have things that we're ashamed of. We all have things that we feel bad about. That doesn't make us unique. What makes us unique is how we grow from those things, how we use those as our roots to grow into who we want to be. So look at the good, look at the bad, and yes, look at the ugly, because that will help you really uncover who it is you want to be. Also in this area of reflection, you have a technique and you alluded to it a little bit with your superwoman example, which I loved. And it's deceptively simple. And that's why I love it because you share it with women and it kind of helps them get to the bottom of why they're not getting what they want. Can you share that technique with us? Oh, I love this technique. It's called the fifth why. And it's called the fifth why because you basically ask the question why five times. (laughs) I mean, what I love about it is you don't even have to have a pencil and paper. You can literally do this while you're in the shower, while you're driving in your car. Uh, It works in a thousand different ways. So essentially what you do is you're trying to get to the root of why it is you feel the way you do, right? And if you ask yourself why, your first why is going to be super shallow. It's just going to be surface level, right? It's going to be like the easiest answer. But then you're going to ask the question why four more times, and that gets you nice and deep into what it is you really are experiencing. So let's say, for example, you're feeling like a failure. I feel like a failure. Okay, why? There's our first why. I feel like a failure because I didn't get the promotion at work. Okay, let's ask why again. Second why. Why didn't you get the promotion at work? I didn't get the promotion at work because my boss said I wasn't ready. Okay, here comes our third why. Why did the boss think you weren't ready? Well, my boss said I wasn't ready because I don't have my advanced certification. Okay, fourth why. Why don't you have your advanced certification? Well, I don't have time in the evenings and it feels really scattered and I'm not, I just don't feel like I have the time. Why don't you feel like you have the time? Well, because I haven't really structured my evenings. And a lot of times I come home and I just end up vegging out in front of the TV and feeling bad. Oh, okay. So it's not really that you feel like a failure. It's that you just need to structure your evenings a little bit more. Create yourself some containers, some little pockets of time where it's like, okay, I come home, I watch one TV show, and then I'm off and I'm going to do the things I want to do. Work on the advanced certification or whatever it is. But you see how we took something big, like I feel like a failure, which feels overwhelming. And we dove into it. We got to the heart of why you feel that way. Asking why five times gets you to that root. Without going too deep, you could ask why five million times. Just ask anyone with a three-year-old. They'll tell you they can, right? (laughs) But it gets you deep enough to really uncover what's at the heart of it. And that fifth why works when you're diving into your past. It works when you're trying to uncover what you're really grateful for. 
it works. I use it with my kids. When my kids are struggling with something, I'll do the fifth why exercise with them. Uh, So it works in all these amazing different ways to get you really to that root cause. And once you understand the root cause, you can pull it up and you can change that story for yourself. One of the things I underlined in your book was words have the power to speak life or death. And Mm -hmm. I really was reflecting on it. it, it, Words matter and how we talk to ourselves (sighs) matter, right? So much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Words matter so much more. I mean, people say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words, words hurt way worse than sticks and stones from my experience and everyone else in the world, right? And I think this is the thing is a lot of times we don't think about our words. We don't think about how we use our words when we are talking to ourselves or how we even describe ourselves. You know, one of the things that I hear from a lot of women is they get really frustrated because they feel like people don't support them in their dreams or people don't understand what they do or they treat them as being smaller than what they are. And I'll say, okay, well, tell me about how you describe yourself. And they'll say, well, you know, if somebody asks me what I do, I'll say, oh, I have this little Etsy shop or I, I, I just kind of do this thing. And their voice does that thing where it goes up. Well, I just have this little thing that I do. Right. And I'm like, well, you are telling them that you are small. You are telling them that you're not serious. You're telling them that you're not important with your own words. People believe what you tell them. And if you choose to to roll your shoulders back, hold your chin up high and say, you know what? This is what I do. I photograph families and I create heirlooms for them to have for generations. Or I raise two amazing kids and I am so excited about what I do, right? doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or a corporate manager, or if you're an entrepreneur, how do you describe yourself when people ask you what you do? Because that's almost always one of the first questions people ask. What's your name? What do you do? I want you to think about how you talk about what you do, how you talk about it in person, how you talk about it on your LinkedIn profile, your social media profiles. If you have a website on your website, are you presenting the version of you that you want people to see you as? Because you're creating your own mirror. So use words that really matter. Really think about how can I lift myself up? Because the truth is, if you don't believe in you, how can anyone else? You have to believe in you before anyone else will. So I want to encourage you to step back. And I do a little exercise for myself that I think is really helpful. I call it, what would Erica say? And I call it, what would Erica say? Because Erica is my best friend, right? So you could insert your best friend's name there. But how does Erica describe me? She doesn't describe me as a little me. She describes me as amazing, right? How does Erica talk to me when I say, how do I look in these pants? Erica never says, oh, you look fat. What were you thinking? Eating that cake? She never says that. She goes, oh, those just aren't the right cut for you. Let's find some other pants, right? So how does my best friend talk about me? I want you to step outside of yourself. Think about how does your best friend describe you? How do they talk to you? How do they talk about you? And then write your bio. Then think about how you speak to yourself because we are often our own worst enemies. That's super powerful. And one of the other little pieces in there that I've been thinking about is your distinction between starting sentences with I don't and I can't, Mm -hmm. because that was really empowering. Will you tell everybody about that? Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting because I'm, I'm such a research nerd. Like I love understanding how your brain works. So I'm always looking at studies and research because I think when you uncover how your brain works, it's so empowering to be like, oh, that's why I think the way that I do, or, oh, I'm totally normal. <laughs> I'm not the only person in the world who feels this way, right? So what's amazing is researchers found that if you use the word I can't versus I don't, it does something amazing to your brain. And they, what they did was they studied people who were on diets. If people on diets said, oh, I can't have a piece of chocolate cake, they felt deprived. They felt like they were being withheld from something they really wanted, right? And so they felt less powerful in making that decision. So a lot of times they end up self-sabotaging and the diet just wouldn't work out. If though, instead the people say, I don't, oh, I don't eat chocolate cake. That's taking the power back. That's me choosing not to have that chocolate cake. So if I choose that, I feel more empowered with that choice and I am more likely to follow through and see that weight loss or that healthy lifestyle to fruition. So it's amazing what a difference it makes between I can't and I don't. So I would encourage you when you're making choices, say that you don't rather than I can't. I can't is very power giving versus empowering. That is so well articulated with power giving, because I, I even think when you're just setting a boundary for yourself gently, you can say, oh, I, no, I don't do that. You know, and it's just, it gives yeah. the power back to you. It does. There's a lot to be said for taking that power back for us, especially when it comes to setting boundaries, right? Like I, I don't do that. And when, when you say that and you communicate that boundary it, by using the word don't, oh, I don't. I don't do things on Wednesday nights because that's our family game night, let's say, for example. People don't question it. They're like, okay, that's clearly a boundary versus I can't. It's like, well, I don't really have a choice in this. So, right? It's very different for the person you're communicating to and for yourself. Speaking of power of words, in the end of each section, you have something that jumped out to me is in each chapter, there's a little section called lies that hold us back. So why did you choose to include this and tell us more about that? Yeah, well, I think we hide behind a lot of excuses. And I say that as someone who also hides behind excuses because I am human. So I am not calling anyone out here <laughs> because honestly, the reason why we all write books, those of us who write books, it's because we write the books that we either wish we had or we need ourselves, right? Uh, so we all tell these little stories to ourselves about how life works or how life is, or just this is how everything works, right? So a lot of times those stories are stories. They're not real. They're actually lies. And we don't realize that we're telling ourselves these stories. So I really wanted to, in each chapter, call out what were the common excuses? But I wanted to call them not excuses, but lies, because then it really calls them out, right? Calls them to the carpet. So these are things like, Here's a really common lie that I hear from a lot of women. Oh, no one else can do it as well as I can. I have to do it all, right? Because I can't trust anyone else to do it as well as me. So we want to flip that on its head because that's not true. The truth is 80% done well by someone else is better than 100% done perfectly by you, okay? <laughs> because it's okay that it's not done in a very specific way or it doesn't look exactly the way that you did it because we want to free up our time. So no one else can do it as well as me is a, is a perfect example of a lie. Another lie that we say a lot of times is I can't decide, right? Oh, I can't choose. I see this a lot of times, especially with uh, entrepreneurs where they're like, well, I have 17 business ideas. So I want to do all these things. And then they feel like, I don't know which direction to go in. 
And the truth is, the cost of greatness is commitment. We have to choose. And there's actually an exercise we go through in the book to help you uncover what it is that you're wanting to do, right? Because we do get caught up in this idea, this, I call it the myth of the multi-passionate, where we hide behind that excuse of, well, I'm just multi-passionate. And the truth is, we are all multi-passionate. We all love more than one thing. Another lie is nobody supports me in my dream or my goal. That's one that I lived with for a long time that, oh, nobody supports me in this. I have to do it all on my own. Everybody's, you know, too busy. No one wants to help out. And then I had to do a little, I did a little fifth why exercise with myself. That fifth why comes in handy all the time. Uh, And I really discovered that the truth is when I clearly ask for what I want and I ask the right people, they are more than happy to support me because I was asking the wrong people or I was very passive aggressively asking, like really just not asking clearly for what I wanted. So those lies, those excuses we use, we can easily flip them on their head into a truth. We add an action to them and that's when we get off and running. That's when we begin to realize these stories that we're telling on repeat in our heads. Thank you for giving such concrete examples because I know that really helps people see themselves. I want to circle back to a few of those. So you referenced the multi-passionate, you called it shiny object syndrome in the book. And I feel like this is a really slippery one because we all have lots of things we're passionate about, but Mm -hmm. something that really clicked with me is that it's not that you can't enjoy lots of passions, but if you don't kind of commit, then you might be holding yourself back. So I think that people would really like to hear your perspective on this. Yeah, I think this is the thing is, you know, and in the book, I talk about the fact that I'm really passionate about a lot of things. There's a ton of things that I'm passionate about. It's not that I'm saying, no, can't do those things that I'm passionate about because I can only do this one thing. It's that I know that I want to focus in on one thing. The other things that I'm passionate about, I can do at other times. For example, I'm very passionate about productivity, right? And redefining productivity for women, helping them really step into understanding their meaning in their work, in their lives. And that's my main focus. But I also, I love using power tools. I love building things. I love tearing things apart and rebuilding. So every year for my birthday, I pull together my power tools. I create a piece of furniture. I've built beds. I've rebuilt decks. I have built window seats and couches for outside, all kinds of things. So it's not that I say no to that passion. It's just, that's not my top priority right? I give it a little bit of time, but it doesn't get the majority, the lion's share of my time. The lion's share of my time goes towards my mission, this purpose that I have of helping women uncover their meaning in their lives through productivity. And so because I give that the lion's share of my time, I'm able to make a difference. I'm able to sell books. I'm able to do a podcast. I'm able to do the things that really matter and move the needle to make that message really matter and make an impact. So in the book, we talk about, I have this exercise that I call the pie activity to help you walk through, because I think what people do is we say, oh, I'm really multi-passionate. There's all these things I want to do. And I'm like, okay, we, we're going to list them out. We're going to list them out. And then we go through methodically and we, we talk about how are you going to pick each one? We give each one a rating and it's really, really simple. Uh, you know, I don't know if we have time to go through it here on the show, but it's so easy to do that literally you get to the end of the exercise and it's crystal clear what the most important thing is to you. Because the truth is, I can't say, here's what your priorities are. Only you can discover those, right? Only you can decide which things are most important to you because your priorities are gonna be different than mine 
that are going to be different than your next door neighbors, different than your best friends, different than your moms. So going through an exercise like that, that's really simple, clarifies and gets that all that chaos and that mess of all these ideas and gives you that clarity of here's really where I want to focus. And there's a lot to be said for having that clarity. I couldn't agree more. And I love how you positioned it as it's not that you're shutting out or you can't explore other things, but you're really dedicating your lion's share of energy too to something Mm -hmm. that is a really high purpose. And that takes me back. I want to talk a little bit about cathedral thinking because that might be a new term for some people. And it really crystallized in my reading why sometimes goals that we set you think you're going to feel good after you achieve them and it just kind of, you fall flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us why that happens. And if you wouldn't mind sharing what your vision of cathedral thinking is. Yeah. Well, the reason why, because a lot of people experience this, it's a very real, very measurable drop in satisfaction after we achieve a goal. It's actually called the goal setting paradox where we achieve something big and we think, oh, this is where the magic is, right? And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, now what? I mean, you're like, I don't know what I want to do next. And there's this feeling of dissatisfaction. We see it a lot, sadly, unfortunately, with you know medalists and Olympians because they have this giant goal they're going for. They get to the Olympics and then they're not sure what to do with their life afterwards. So really having this idea of cathedral thinking is that idea that we talked about earlier of looking out into the future and seeing this bright, beautiful tomorrow that we're working towards. And it's called cathedral thinking because it's based on the idea that back in the 1200s, the 1300s, the city architects and the planners and the the artisans, they built these amazing, beautiful cathedrals that were designed to stand the test of time, right? The, The Duomo in Florence is a perfect example of that. Thousands of years old and or hundreds of years old, rather, but it's been standing the test of time. And what's amazing is the day that those, well, they're all men. So the day that those men broke ground, they knew they weren't going to see it finished. They knew that they were never going to see that cathedral up on the hilltop because it was so much bigger than them. It was a legacy for them. And that's what I want you to think about. What is your legacy? When I look out into my future, 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, what is it I want to have built? So that's our cathedral. And what we can do is we can look at that as that's my potential. That's the potential in my life is this big, bright, beautiful cathedral. And what's amazing is once you have a landmark like a cathedral, you can move towards it. So if we imagine ourselves like a map and there's a point that says you are here and at the end of that line is this cathedral and that's your potential. Well, that seems really far apart. And it seems like, well, how am I going to get from where I am now to this giant, amazing thing that I want to do? Well, okay, if that's your potential, let's back up that map a little bit. If that's your potential, what's possible? What would be possible for you to accomplish in three years or five years that would get you closer to that cathedral? Okay, three to five years is a lot closer, but it's still pretty far away. So let's back up that map a little bit more. If that's your potential, and then we have what's possible, what is uh, practical? What could I do practically in the next 12 to 18 months? What would be practical that I could actually accomplish in the next year to year and a half? All right, so we're getting closer, right? All right, let's back up our map a little bit more. And this is all in drawings in the book because it's Mm -hmm. very visual. So if that's what's practical in 12 to 18 months, let me back up my map a little bit more. What do I need to prioritize? What do I need to prioritize in the next three months, the next six months, the next nine months to get to that practical landmark? Those priorities. Those are your goals. 
Those are the goals that are going to get you closer to that bright, beautiful future that you dream about. So often, we're not setting our goals based off of where it is we want to go. We're basing them off of that lady over there that we talked about earlier, or that woman over there who's doing these things, right? And what happens, and this is the magic that happens when we set goals that are aligned to a much bigger purpose. What happens is we accomplish those goals and we don't go, now what? Or what should I do now? Or, oh, I don't know. Was that worth it? We go, I know what I'm doing next. And then I know what I'm doing next. And we keep moving along that beautiful map we've created to get to that cathedral. So each one of those goals has meaning. And when they have meaning, that's when we have satisfaction. That's when we go to bed at night and we go, today was amazing. You know why? Because you got closer to your cathedral. And that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. And one of the things that you said was overwhelm is not having too much to do. It's not knowing where to start. And I feel like if we have this cathedral, mm-hmm. it almost becomes a filter. This is some, one of the thoughts I was having as I was reading, because I think we all know we live in a distracted, bombarded world. And yes. if we don't have that cathedral, then we don't necessarily have a filter for our nose. And mm-hmm. I think that there is just so much peace in settling into that clarity of, hey, that sounds cool, interesting, maybe, but that's not part of my cathedral vision right now. That's exactly right. That's, I mean, that's exactly what it does for you. It allows you to filter out. I think so often we feel like opportunity only knocks once. So we have to answer and open the door every single time, right? Yes, 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 yes. And then five seconds later, we're like, oh, why did I say yes? (laughs) We've all been there, right? I have a whole chapter of my first book, The Joy of Missing Out, all about how you can say no, because it's such an issue. It's so hard to say no, right? We need to find ways that we can be kind and be assertive. Being kind and being assertive are not mutually exclusive. You can do both. But having this cathedral really allows you to say that doesn't align. Not I can't do that. That does not align. I don't do that because it's not getting me to where I want to go. That's why we check all those things off our to-do list and feel unsatisfied. We're chasing, busy. We're doing things here and there and everywhere, right? I mean, if I were to tell you, would you want to take five steps or 50 steps? Almost hands down, you're going to say, I want to do the 50 because that sounds amazing. But if there are 50 steps in 50 different directions, where are you going to end up? Who knows? You could be further behind. You could be lost somewhere, right? But if instead I said those five steps, take each one of those five steps moving forward, where are you going to end up? Closer to where you want to go. It's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. So saying yes to all these 50 other things, that's taking you everywhere but where you want to go. When we choose to do fewer and we do it with intention, we get closer to where we want to go. And that's where life satisfaction lives. Yes. So we decide to start and we've got our cathedral in mind, or at least we picked a horse. Let's at least go there, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Um, So we decide to start. You have a method. It's called MTO. And Mm -hmm. it's a way to actually set goals. And I think that's some people like the idea of goals, but they're maybe inconsistent or just don't have an easy system that feels like they can implement. So this, this one seems pretty simple. So I'd love for you to share it. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that happens a lot of times with our goals is we fall off the wagon and then we're like, well, guess I'm done. Like can't get back on because once we have, you know, even if it's a mini failure, 
it's all over with, right? So what we want to do, and I walk through a whole goal setting process called the impact goal system. One of the letters, so each of those letters stands for something inspirational, measurable, purpose-driven, adaptable, challenging, and timed. When we talk about the A, adaptable, we want to make sure we're not setting goals that are too rigid. You know why? Life needs flexibility because life is messy. (laughs) Things are going to go off track. Kids get sick, you hurt yourself, things happen, right? Life happens, work gets busy, all kinds of things. So we want to have some flexibility built in, but we want to still hold ourselves accountable. So it's not like we can just say, oh, I don't know, I'll just do it whenever. The MTO method is one of my favorite ways to make your goals adaptable, to make them flexible. So MTO stands for minimum, target, and outrageous. So let's say, for example, Let's say the goal that you've set for yourself is that you want to eat healthy and your goal is really that you want to eat healthy, let's say four days a week. You're going to start making your lunches for work and you're going to have healthy choices at home and all these other things. So you really want to eat healthy four days a week. Four is your target. So if you hit four, that's amazing. But what we want to do is we want to have a minimum because the truth is, especially if you're not eating healthy right now, four can be tough. And if you say, okay, four is my target. But two, if I get to two, I've I've hit the minimum. At least I've done something. I'm not failing, but I can keep on going. I've hit my minimum. But we're really shooting for that target of four. But if you hit two, hey, you still got that momentum going. You don't have that feeling of failure. So minimum would be two. Target would be four. Outrageous would be something like six or seven. So if you hit six or seven, let's say your number is seven, because that's really outrageous, right? If you eat healthy seven days a week and you hit that, O, that outrageous goal, well, then that's cause for celebration. That's a time to reward yourself because you've pushed yourself. What I love about the MTO method is it gives you a target to shoot for. We have that four, but it gives you that flexibility for, hey, this week was really rough and I was working late every day this week and I had to grab fast food. I didn't have a choice. So I did my best. So you can hit that minimum, but it also pushes you to go for that outrageous. So it's really a beautiful way of hitting that target regularly because one week, maybe you get two and you're like, okay, well, at least I hit the minimum. The next week you might get five. And you start averaging those out, right? And then the next week you might get six. The next week it might be three, but you're still feeling like you're winning. And there's a lot to be said for our mindset because what happens is when we fail, a lot of times we have a week that goes by and we didn't eat healthy at all. We go, well, forget it. That goal's not for me. And we just scrap the whole thing. Give yourself some grace. Give yourself some flexibility. Give yourself the ability to be human because you're not going to do amazing every single day of the week. And that's okay. This felt super aligned for me and I'm going to try it. I'm so glad I read your book because <laughs> I'm going to try this one on precise because I think that we forget that it's nice to rest into structures sometimes. Mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. And I really like that you set yourself up, but if you're having a super high energy week, maybe you you get that outrageous and you're like, whoop, whoop. But yep. like you said, when life happens and we fall off a little bit, We're set up to give ourselves grace and compassion instead of beating ourselves up or just completely abandoning things. So, right. I I really like, as we said, your words matter, right? And we don't want to beat ourselves up for not being perfect. We're not going to be perfect every single week. It's hard to hit that, you know, four meals a week that are healthy every single week. Give yourself that grace. I, I love the idea of giving ourselves more grace because I think really ultimately that helps you win in the long run. 
And that's what we're going for. We're going for the long game here. If our goal is to eat healthy, that's because we want to, our cathedral is maybe something like being active in our 90s. That's a great goal to set for yourself. So don't throw it away because you just messed up one week. Get back on and give it another go. One of the most common things you say that clients ask you about, which is totally reasonable, is is time management, which seems Mm -hmm. reasonable for a productivity expert. But sometimes you have some unconventional seeming ideas about this. So tell us about what any other tools or answers you have for creating a life that can be meaningful, productive, instead of just feeling like chasing that busy that we talked about earlier. Yeah, it really is rethinking busy. I think people really, they love to ask about time management. And the truth is there's no time management. There is no time management. Time is not an angry three-year-old throwing a tantrum in the middle of Target or an angsty teenager who's, you know, wanting the keys to the car. Time is just time. 24 hours in the day of all the inequalities in our world, time is not one of them. You, me, Beyonce, we all get the same 24 hours. She just uses hers really well, right? (laughs) She uses hers in amazing ways. We can too. So the truth is, it's not about the time. I can't give you the extra hour that you wish I could give you. People are like, how do I get an extra hour in my day? I'm like, well, I don't know. I guess you have to go talk to Einstein and figure that out because that's, (laughs) you know, that's not possible. What we can do, though, is we can manage our activities. We can choose how we spend our time. We can take more ownership over our time. I think, you know, when we talked about the lies that we tell ourselves, the, the, the excuses we use, we use time over and over again. I just don't have the time to do the things I want. But we, at the same time, say, oh, I'll do that later. I'll do that someday. So we have this like amazing Olympic pool size vault of time somewhere where we're going to do all these incredible things. And at the same time, we're like, oh, I don't have time to do the things I want to do. Time is just time. It's all in how we choose to spend it. So that's really a lot of what I teach women is how do you want to use your time? It's all about choosing to use it intentionally and making those choices because everything is a choice, including how you spend your days. That's a beautiful place to wrap up. I know you've given women so much to think on. One final reflection, I always ask women at the end of my interviews, what's one question women should be asking themselves more? What do I want? I think we don't ask that nearly enough. I think we worry about what everybody else wants. I think we live a lot to expectations and obligations, or we think that we can't do things because, oh, our kids won't let us, my spouse won't let me, uh, my family will never support me, my friends would think I was crazy. What do you want? What do you want? honestly, out of life, if you could do anything in the whole wide world, money was no object and everything was possible. Going back to who you were as a kid, what would you choose to do? Whatever that is, you can still do that. I don't care what it is. There's an opportunity to do it in some way, shape or form. So here's what I would tell the women who are listening today. Do something today about that. Give yourself 15 minutes because I think the thing is we think it has to be this big giant leap or these big steps and it doesn't have to be the small steps, the tiny steps, they matter just as much, if not more than the big giant leaps because the small steps lead to bigger steps. Each and every step we take is going to matter. It builds that momentum and it makes it easier to get to that cathedral, to get to that big, bright, beautiful future that not only you want, but you deserve. Because we all deserve greatness in our lives. And I think 
you need to remember that you were designed for greatness. We all were. Beautiful. And I know people are going to want to continue to learn from you after listening to this. So please, where can we follow you, find you, get more Tanya in our lives? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, the best place is honestly tanyadalton.com. You can find links to my books there. My books are available anywhere books are sold. You can find uh, information about me speaking and those kinds of things. But you can also, wherever you are listening to this podcast today, After you listen to this, just do a search for The Intentional Advantage or search for my name and you'll find my podcast, The Intentional Advantage with Tanya Dalton. I do my podcast very intentionally, as I'm sure is no surprise after hearing me speak, where I have seasons and I very intentionally curate the seasons and the guests to make sure that I'm really helping you live a life that feels meaningful. So The Intentional Advantage right here on whatever platform you're listening to. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at at Whitney Woman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.